So I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, page 1146. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, page 1146. And we are going to read uh, verses 14 to 21. Verses 14 to 21. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. Paul writes, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? I think that's a rhetorical question. What do you fancy? Shall I come with with, with a rod, and and shall I come uh, with a rod of discipline, or shall I come to you with gentle spirit? Which which would you choose? Obviously, we're supposed to be left saying, well, we'll choose love and gentle spirit, but you need to understand something first. And what we're going to do today, and uh, deliberately... Uh, This is a smaller section because we've got to the end of the first chunk of 1 Corinthians. And here's what I think our danger is um, with the Bible, particularly in in churches like ours where we work through chunks of the Bible and we kind of chug our way through. The danger is that we just kind of chug on through and we read the next bit and we read the next bit and we read the next bit and we never stop to actually say, what's this teaching us? Is it changing us? And what I really want us to do this afternoon is I'm, I'm going to call us this afternoon as a church to repent, to respond to what God says and to say, let's take this seriously rather than just week in, week out going and here's the next bit and here's the next bit. Let's take the opportunity this afternoon to reflect on what we've seen. If you haven't been here, don't worry, I'm going to recap. To reflect on what we've heard and to respond to it, to actually to repent, which simply means to turn around to stop living a wrong way and to turn to live the right way. But before we get to that, let me ask you this. How do you respond to criticism? How do you feel when you are criticized? My guess is that most of us struggle with it. We don't, we don't like it. Not many of us say, oh, I love it. Yes, I love it when people tell me that I've done something wrong. It, nothing brings me greater joy in all the world than for someone to pick holes in me. It hurts, right? It's difficult. It's hard. What I want to show you this afternoon is that the Bible says that criticism from a friend is like a kiss on the lips. That's a pretty provocative phrase. That's straight from the Bible. From Proverbs chapter 24. I'm going to read it to you so you know that it's not just me making this up. Um, Proverbs 24 and verse 26. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Someone who will speak truth to us 
is a true friend. And is someone who gives us something that is highly valuable. So when James asked me earlier, what do you want to call this sermon? I said, uh, I want to call it a, a kiss on the lips. Which I know when it goes on the website, it's going to probably get the most hits. <laughs> but actually, I want to try and show you that what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 to 4, is, in fact the whole letter, is he is a friend speaking honest truth to a church that desperately needs to hear it. And they need to receive it like a kiss on the lips, not like a smack in the face. And that's what we're going to try and see. And Paul has been exposing an attitude in the church in Corinth, which I think we don't have to look too far to see in our own hearts. Certainly, I don't have to look too far to see it in my heart. It is the attitude of boasting. It is the attitude of wanting to be impressive. It is an attitude of wanting to show the world how great we are. That's what I want us to repent of this afternoon. I, um, I once sent a text to someone. I mean, I've done that more than once. Uh, one of the times when I sent a text to someone was at the end of a holiday club that we'd been running. And a lady called uh, Christine had been key in helping to run it. And, uh, and I was very appreciative. She was very tired, and I thought I would send a text to encourage her. Uh, this is the text I sent. I said... Um, for those who can't read, it says, Hi, Christine, just wanted to say I did a fantastic job this week. Now, let me explain. That was a typo. Okay? Because back in the day when texts cost money and the number of characters, you, you shorten things, right? So, the, so I wanted to say, just want to say, you have done a great job this week. But it turns out that you and the I are next to each other on the keyboard. So I sent a text to Christine that said, uh, so she got this text that just said, I did a great job this week. Thanks. But I wonder if it actually spoke truer than it knows. I wonder if actually that is a revealing text sometimes of our hearts. That says, I just would like you to know that I've done a fantastic, I'd like you to know what a great job I've done. And we... We're unlikely to send it quite as blatantly as a text. But I think we send it in all kinds of subtle ways. I'd like you to know what a great job I've done. I'd like you to be impressed by me. And that is what Paul, throughout this first chunk of 1 Corinthians, has been smashing. He's been saying, stop boasting about yourselves. Stop taking pride in yourselves. Stop boasting about your leaders. Oh yeah, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Stop boasting about who's the greatest preacher. Stop boasting about your knowledge. Stop boasting about your growth and your gifting. Stop boasting. So just have a look back um, to chapter 1 verse 26. Here it is, if you like. Here is a, a summary, kind of really captures this first chunk of 1 Corinthians. 
Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We've seen this over and over, right? I'm recapping. Paul says, you're not all that. You're not that impressive. And therefore, don't boast about yourselves. And we need to hear this message. But you see, the problem is, if you come back to chapter 4, verse 14, our passage for today, Paul has really been laying this down to them. And in fact, last week, he he reached quite a climax when he said to them, he basically spoke very cuttingly. He said, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You've begun to reign. How I wish you really had begun to reign. You see? You think that you're reigning. You think that you're so great. You think that you're such a great church, Paul says to this church in Corinth. And he says, you are... But you're not. I think that's why verse 14 starts like it does. Because Paul in verse 14 says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. I think he knows he's been very strong. I think he knows he has been very, very cutting in what he has just said. And it's as if he says, have I been too strong? Perhaps I've been too strong. No, I don't think I have been too strong. But I want you to know that I'm writing this because I love you. I'm not trying to shame you and expose you and cut you down and humiliate you. I'm writing because I love you and I want to give you an honest answer, a kiss on the lips, to show you what is true, to warn you. So the reality in Corinth, what you discover is that there's plenty of other people who've come in claiming to love them, claiming to be guardians in Christ Jesus. You have 10,000 guardians in Christ Jesus, all sorts of people who come and say they care about you. But Paul says, I'm your father. Not in a Star Wars way. I am your father. He says it from a heart that says, I love you too much to lie to you. There are all sorts of other people who are coming along who are saying what they want to hear. Paul says, I love you too much to say what you want to hear. Look, imagine a dad, okay? And imagine a dad whose greatest desire was for his kids to like him. this This is my priority as a dad. I just want my kids to like me. What sort of dad would that be? What would that dad do? What would that dad do, Reuben? Give them sweets. That's it. It's very easy to make kids like you. It's very easy to make people like you. It's very easy to do what they want, to do the things, to give them what they want. Paul says, I won't do that to you. There are plenty of people who come into church. There are plenty of people who come as leaders into church whose main desire is that the church would like them. 
And therefore, they will say what people want to hear. They'll say the nice things. They'll give people sweets. They'll say, oh, yes, you're so special. You're so wonderful. You're so precious. You're so lovely. And Paul says, I love you too much to do that. Paul is not interested in the church in Corinth liking him. And I want to suggest that a dad who wants his kids, whose primary desire is that his kids like him, is not a dad who is going to get very far in bringing his kids up. My job as a dad is not to be my child's friend. My job is to be their father. That is to correct them when they're wrong. Lovingly. But to correct them, that's the job of a father. And the job of a pastor, the job of a preacher, is not to tell everybody how wonderful you are. It is to speak truth. So I want to ask you to pray for me as a pastor and for, the, for, for Phil and for the other guys who are leaders at Globe Church, I want to ask you to pray that we wouldn't fall into the trap of wanting you to like us. Does that make sense? I hope you like it. You know, I, I want to be your friends. But we need to speak truth. And that means sometimes we need to be able to criticize each other. We need to be able to give an honest answer to each other. We need to be able to speak truth. That's what Paul is doing in this letter. I'm going to speak truth to you, Paul says, because I'm your father in the gospel. And so he says in verse 16, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. Paul says, watch me. For this reason... I've sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who's faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way in life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. I'm going to send you Timothy. I can't be with you right now. I'm going to send you Timothy. He'll teach you the truth. He'll speak an honest answer. He'll give you a kiss on the lips. (laughs) He'll speak truth. So I want to say to us, let's not despise people who will criticize us. Let's not despise people. I am thankful to God for people who have acted like fathers to me and have criticized me. I wasn't particularly pleased at the time. But actually, that's what we need. And I've got to say to you, in a city like London, here is the easiest thing, right? This is what happens in churches in London. Something is said or something happens and it feels like someone's criticizing you And you say, I don't like this, I'm going to go and find another church. I'll find another church because there's another church which will say what I want them to hear. And we go around trying to find the church that says what we want. Don't do that. Find a church that loves Jesus and then stick with that church and ask them to speak truth to you. Now, I'm not saying that church leaders always get it right because we don't. And there's sometimes when we need to be criticized and held to account. But we need to be a family who are committed to one another, not a family who chuck our toys out the pram and wander off and go, I'm going to go and find somebody who's nice to me. Being a family doesn't always mean being nice to each other. It often means that. Don't hear me saying that we're just going to spend all our time going, well, I meant to say that your haircut is terrible. (laughs) There is a loving, Paul loves them, so he speaks truth. And I wonder if we will embrace truth. And and so the first big thing is this thing of Paul being a father. But now look at the second little bit in this paragraph. 
where Paul says to them, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I'll find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. Here's the thing, right? Paul says, this church, these, these false teachers who've come in, who are saying all this nice stuff and leading you astray and telling you kind of stuff that's not true, who aren't speaking truth to you, I'm going to come, Paul says, and I'm going to see what power they've got. I'm not interested in what they're saying. I'm not interested in, in how good they sound. I want to see what power there is. Now, it seems to me the implication is Paul's not expecting to see true power. But he says this because in verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What a sentence that is. Look, if you've, if you've slightly drifted off, and it is quite warm in here, if you've slightly drifted off, wake up for that. That's a sentence that's worth waking up for. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And that's the sort of verse we go, oh, yes, we love power. It's a kingdom of power. Be careful. Because you have to define power very carefully. Because Corinth loved power. They were big into powerful things and powerful speakers and powerful meetings and powerful experiences and powerful miracles and all of this stuff. And Paul says, I'm going to look for power. I'm not looking for any of that. I'm looking for something different. What is Paul looking for? What is the mark of power in the church? This is going to lead us to repentance. The mark of power has nothing to do with us. It is not about, Paul is not going, right, I'm going to come and look and see if I can find any powerful people. He's not looking at the people. That's not where he's locating the power. He locates the power somewhere else. And he's been crystal clear about this over and over again in this section. Let me take you through it one more time. Here we go. Chapter 1, verse 17. Look at this. Get this clear. What is the power in the church? Chapter 1, verse 17. Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Where does power exist? Where does it reside? What is the source of power? It is not in a man or a system or an idea. It lies in the cross of Christ. That is power. Chapter 2, verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Power is seen in the preaching of the cross, in the message of this man Christ crucified. Paul says, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to see whether the cross of Christ is central to everything that you're doing. I'm not interested in how many miracles you can show me. I'm not interested in how many degrees and professors and 
blah 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 people. I'm not interested in how pretty they are. I don't care how good your music is. I don't care how nice your building is. I don't care how many people are there. All I care about is, is there power? And the power is seen in the message of the cross. Are you depending on the cross? And that is what Paul has been saying all the way through this. You shift your focus, you shift your confidence from the cross of Christ to human leaders or to human power, and suddenly everything goes wrong. We begin to boast in ourselves. Because the cross of Christ smashes human pride. It takes away all our boasting. And that is why the cross of Christ is the key to a truly powerful church. So let me take um, just a couple of minutes to preach the cross of Christ. To explain to you, to, to, sh- to tell you why the cross of Christ is so central. Because this is where power lies. And I want to show you how actually it... I want to feel how it undermines our pride. Here's the message of the cross of Christ. There is nothing that you can do that can possibly save yourself. You are far away. We are far away. All of humanity is far far away from God. We are in a place under God's right anger. God is rightly angry at human sin. And there's nothing that we can do. We cannot pull ourselves up. We cannot improve ourselves. We cannot go on a course and make ourselves better. But God had this plan. God chose to send his one and only son into the world. And Jesus Christ came as the king who was crucified. The king who would die. And as Jesus died on a cross, this is what happened. All of God's right anger at sin fell on Jesus. It was all taken by Jesus. The anger that should fall on me fell on Christ He was crucified so that I go free. That's where the power is. The power is in the message that Christ died to save me. And it is not humbling. It's not, uh, it is humbling. It's not uh, flattering. That's the word I was looking for. It's humbling to be told that you need saving. Here's the power. God takes foolish things, weak things, things that are not, and he saves them. That means to be a Christian means I am a foolish, weak, nothing who is saved by God. But I don't want to be a foolish, weak, nothing. I want to be important. I want to be special. Exactly. That's why we boast. That's why the cross of Christ gets pushed out. Because we don't want to be weak, foolish nothings. We want to be significant, important somebodies. 
So we push the cross of Christ out and we make it nice and we say, oh, the cross, Jesus died for me. Aren't I valuable? What? Jesus died for me. I'm so special. No, no, no. Jesus died for you because you are a weak, foolish nobody who needed saving. And Paul says that's where the power lies. It's in that message of the cross. Now here's the thing, and this is where I want us to feel this, and this is where we're going to now take some time just to, um, I'm going to finish here, and then we're going to take some time to sing and to, to actually let this sink in deeply. If that is true, that Christ Jesus, the eternal Son of God, gave himself on a cross to die for you, Can you see why boasting is such an offensive thing to do? Can you see why actually for us to say, look at me, I want to be impressive. Let's be a church that's impressive. Can you see why that's offensive? To begin to boast about ourselves as if we did something. No, we boast in him. We boast in Christ. We boast in Jesus all the time. And so when Paul comes to the church in Corinth, he doesn't want to see their miracles, their CVs, their size, their numbers, their spreadsheet, their balance sheet. He wants to know, is Christ and the cross changing you? Does it have a hold on your heart? That's the only power that really changes anything. So the kingdom of God, being part of this kingdom that God is doing, it's not a matter of talk, it is a matter of power. The power that is seen in the cross of Jesus, the power that transformed us. So here's, here's what I'd love us to do. We're going to sing a song um, which is going to help us to reflect on some of this. Um, and we're going to stay sitting down to sing this. Um, the, uh, the song says, um, I'm guilty. That's a difficult first line to sing, right? I'm guilty, ashamed of what I've done. That's where it starts. It starts with honesty. And perhaps even this afternoon, some of us, we, we need to be honest. We need to be honest about our own failing, our own inability. But then this song shifts our focus to Jesus and it says, but you plead my cause, you right my wrongs. You break my chains. You overcome. And we're going to sing that together. And we're going to feel the humbling truth of our own failure, but the magnificent power of the cross of the one who would die to save us. So why don't we just stay seated and let's use these words perhaps to reflect on this. And then we're going to try and apply this a little bit more to some of our attitudes about church. This, this message of the cross, it really does set us free. When you see the power that there is in the cross to save us, it, that is what sets us free. To pursue being impressive, to pursue a life of boasting is a slavery. It's like, you know, you watch hamsters running round and round in the wheel. Okay, we've all seen that. And it's crazy, isn't it? You sort of watch this hamster running around and you think, where do you think you're going? You know, 
they run and run and run and run and run. And then they get off and they're like, oh, I'm still here. <laughs> and actually, here's the thing, right? The pursuit of an impressive life, the pursuit of approval, the pursuit of boasting, the pursuit of praise is a hamster's wheel that leads to you running and running and running and you will be exhausted and you will be enslaved by it and it's only the cross that sets us free. Because the cross says you're not impressive. That's a relief. I find it such a relief when Jesus says to me, you're not impressive and that's okay because I love you and I gave my life for you. But I want us just to take some time to to actually think really carefully about our own hearts, to look into our own hearts and to ask, where is it that we see this desire to be impressive in our own hearts? Where is it that you kind of crave the approval? Where is it that you want to boast about yourself? You want to send that text message that says, I did a fantastic job. Where do we see that in our own hearts? Let's just take a moment to think about it. I'd love you to try and be specific. In fact, if you've got a pen and a bit of paper, what I'd really love you to do is to write something down. Although don't leave it lying around because this is private. (laughs) But take some time to write it down. And I want us to have something in our hearts. And then I want us together as a church to repent of it. To say, I don't want that. I want to turn from that. And I want Christ. But let's take a moment to examine our hearts. And then we're going to... If you can, scribble something down and then we'll turn from that to Christ. Thank you.
okay, with, with that thing in our minds or perhaps written on a piece of paper in front of us. I just want us to look at that thing and I want us to say that thing will be a massive burden to us, will be a massive snare to us. And together as a church, we want to turn and look at Christ, turn and lift our eyes to him. And I want you to listen to this. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And even in your mind's eye, let go of that thing that is so precious to you that you pursue. Let go of that thing. Take hold of Christ. Say, Christ, you died for me. You gave me everything. I want you more than I want that. That's repentance. And the kingdom of God is more than just talk. It's more than just saying it here this afternoon. It's asking for the power to go and live it through the power of the cross to go and live this life a life where we take hold of Jesus and all that he's done for us. Well, we're going to stand and sing as a church. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. We're going to sing our confidence about the cross of Christ. And then we're going to finish by singing a fantastic old hymn that says, with a whole realm of nature mine, that one offering far too small. Why don't we stand? Let's stand, let's sing a couple of songs as we finish and respond to God together.